everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I've got my brother and producer, Joel, here in the studio with me. And today, we've got a very interesting episode for you. We thought it was about time that we circled kind of back on our topics and talk about an alien abduction story. It's been a while since we've covered one of these, so I thought it's time to get back to the UFO phenomenon, aliens, the possibility of being abducted by extraterrestrials. (laughs) It's just a wild one to really wrap your head around. So Mm -hmm. today we're going to be covering the Pascagoula alien abduction incident. This is a, a very interesting one that comes from the people that were actually abducted. This is where most of the information originates with many of these alien abduction stories. So that's where we got today's story from. But before we dive into that, I want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Raycon, HelloFresh, and American Giant. Also, guys, one way that you can help support the show, in addition to checking out our sponsors, is going to Apple Podcasts, making sure you're subscribed, also going to Spotify, hit that follow. And then if you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, uh, we are definitely on YouTube. You can see uh, the smoke that just blew across my face right now. <laughs> so yeah, check us out on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to all the platforms that really help us out quite a bit. Also, we're on Twitter, Instagram uh, as at Lights Outcast. Lights Outcast. That's how you find us. But let's let's go ahead and just dive right into the Pascagoula alien abduction. Pascagoula, Mississippi is a very small town. I mean, it's a little bit larger now, but it's at the very, very southern tip of Mississippi, right on the ocean. But it's it's actually got quite a big history. The name Pascagoula actually comes from the Native American word that means bread eater. And the Spanish explorers didn't even make it to the Pascagoula River until the 1540s. And it didn't actually become part of the United States until 1812. But like many small towns, not a lot happens. But that all changed on October 11th, 1973, when the most interesting thing, a part of the Pascagoula's history, took place. The residents that all lived along the Pascagoula River witnessed something so spectacular, yet unexplainable, that many of them didn't talk about it for decades to come. But there was one man that wouldn't stay quiet. His name is Charles Hickson, and he made sure that the world knew what had happened on that quiet, still night on October 11th, 1973, that he said changed his life forever. Let his time travel back to 1973. There's a man named Calvin Parker, who was 19 years old at the time, who was engaged in working 16-hour days, seven days a week. Once he got married, he wanted to be able to spend more time with his new wife. So he decided it was time for a change. On October 10th, 1973, he called a friend who worked at a local shipyard, 42-year-old Charles Hickson. Due to the fact that they're right on the river and you know tons of boats go up and down these rivers from the Gulf um, upwards into the United States, Charlie actually worked as a ship fitter, assembling the structural parts of steel ships. That day, he told Calvin to come on down and that he could start working tomorrow. There were some apartments nearby where the worker stayed, and Calvin packed up his car and headed to his new job. The next day, October 11th, they spent the morning slinging a 16-pound sledgehammer, cutting and tacking a ship together. When it's time to break for lunch, Calvin was already feeling pretty tired. Charlie suggested they go fishing after their shift to relax and wind down after a long day's work. Calvin thought that was a great idea as well, and they were looking forward to spending the day fishing by the river. They ended up leaving the shipyard around 4.30 or 5, and then drove to a few spots before deciding where they were going to fish. As soon as the men pulled up to the old Shapeter shipyard in Pascagoula, Calvin saw debris everywhere. There was tall grass and weeds, and it was cluttered with everything from trash to old refrigerators. He asked Charlie about it, and Charlie said it was abandoned. That's why there was all that debris there. The water washed up the debris from all over the place, and no one had ever come to clean it up. They ended up wading out into the shallow water to get to an old metal pier in order to set up their fishing lines. The water was filthy, 
filled with garbage and debris, and it took them about 15 minutes just to wade through it to get to the pier. They ended up lifting a log onto the pier in order for them to have something to sit on while they were fishing. For a while, they sat in silence and just enjoyed the calm breeze. Calvin was looking at an old ship in the distance and started letting his mind wander. He started thinking about their day of lifting and pounding steel and wondering how something so heavy could float. I've had that thought too sometimes, you know, like wondering how big, heavy ships like that float. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it's like displacement and stuff. There's like science behind it, but sometimes, you know, especially when you don't understand that when you're younger, you're like, how does this big, heavy metal ship float in water? Right. Wouldn't something heavy like that just sink down? I mean, that's what I would think. Before they knew it though, the sun started setting. It was around eight o'clock around this time. It was then that Calvin noticed a light coming from behind them and he heard a zipping sound. He turned around to look and realized it was coming from the west and was about 300 yards away. All of a sudden, blue hazy lights were flashing across the water. And to Calvin, it looked like the lights on the top of a police car. So he assumed that someone was coming to tell them that they had to leave and get out of there. So Charlie and Calvin stood up. And that's when the blue lights got brighter and clearer. Then all of a sudden, these blue lights intensified so much that it nearly blinded the men. And within the bright light, they watched as three figures appeared. They looked slightly like people, but moved more like robots and also hovered over the water. Calvin focused on one of the figures. He said it was about five and a half feet tall and had no neck. Its head sat right on its shoulders and the mouth was no more than a slit. Above this slit was a protruding bump that maybe could have been a nose. But whatever this thing was, it had no eyes. That must have been a super horrifying sight. Like, you can't recognize what you're seeing. And I, I've i never heard of an alien that looks like this till now. Because, you know, gray aliens. And you know a lot better about the species than I do. But, yeah, that, that's kind of a crazy sight to see. Shoulders. Yeah. Very, very weird. Mm-hmm. And they move like robots. Maybe they are robots. They could be. But at first he thought that he saw mittens for hands. But then he realized that where there should have been hands, they were more like strange claws, almost like what crabs have. And as they got closer to him, he realized that they had pale, grayish, wrinkled skin and rounded feet. And they were naked. (laughs) They weren't wearing any clothes at all. It looked more like they had some sort of skin-tight suit on. But what they did know is that they definitely weren't humans. As they got closer, two of the figures grabbed Charlie with their claw hands. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, man? Like, claws? That's gotta hurt. Well, if you think about it, in this type of scenario, like, say we were out, you know, doing, like, fishing somewhere, like, and something like this happened, we probably would just freeze and, like, just stare Mm -hmm. at this rather than, because at first, I mean, you don't know if there's danger or not. I mean, yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. So you want to actually, you don't want to miss an event like that. You don't want to miss. True that. True. You know, a UFO sighting or yeah. something, right? We want to investigate wanna, a little bit. We all want to see, on. see this thing. But then all of a sudden these figures come out and they're coming at you. And they clearly either, I, I don't know exactly what speed they're coming at them. It seems like they came at them pretty quickly <laughs> if they didn't have time to realize that this thing was going to grab him yeah. uh, before he was able to run. But, but, but dude, they walk like robots. So like, <laughs> I would think you would have time to like move around because it's just so, you know, er, 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 like what the thing. fuck's going through your head like, during this? Like this must, I wonder if they had smoked any green before. They, yeah. Or like, do some LSD or, had a few, or something. <laughs> a few beers or something. This would be, Oh yeah. They're be honestly terrifying. Cause for they, sure. so the, the way that's, the drawings look of these things is the best way I could explain it is like a mummified body walking with crab hands, like (laughs) claws for hands and then like hoofs for feet in a way. It's, it's a bizarre looking uh, being. I don't know what this thing is, but it scared Calvin so much that he decided, you know what? It's time to get the hell out of here. And he took off running and all around him. I mean, they had to run back through this nasty water and debris and at this point, I mean, you're in like fight or flight mode. So time becomes irrelevant. Everything's just kind of happening so fast. And he barely had any time to think before the third figure grabbed him 
and right away he heard a sharp hissing sound and felt a sting in his left arm. He realized that he had been injected with something. But what's weird is that the fear was completely gone. It was as if he was paralyzed. He could move his head and eyes to look around, but that was it. The rest of his body was just frozen in place. Interesting. And we've seen this in uh, Travis Walton's case. When he was on board the ship, he was... Injections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and being paralyzed. Being paralyzed. Right, yeah. Un- un- unable to move. Theme, yeah. yeah. The figures then levitated about two feet off the water with their legs together. And at that point, they lifted Calvin and Charlie up with them. Calvin still had a flash obstructing his vision from the bright light. He strained his neck in order to look up and to see where the figures were taking them. And as they got higher and higher into the sky, he realized what the source of this bright light was. It was a hovering oval-shaped ship. Light seemed to just flow from it, like it was almost covered in an illuminated paint. It was about 40 feet across and at least 8 feet high. There was an open doorway and more light spilling out from inside the ship. These figures, or beings, brought them through the doorway. And Calvin tried to look around. They then made a left turn and then went through another doorway. Where they were brought into a room. And Calvin was placed on an examination table made of glass or something similar to that. And it was tilted at a 16 degree angle. An object about the size of a deck of cards appeared from the ceiling and dropped down about one and a half feet above Calvin's face. It stopped right between his eyes and started rotating around his head and body, and he heard a clicking noise as it swung around and around. But what was weird is there was no wires. It actually wasn't connected to anything. It just moved freely, hovering through the air. And just as quickly as it appeared, this thing shot back up into the ceiling and disappeared. That's super weird to think about. I mean, it seems like they're being scanned that's what it kind of looks uh-huh. like like this was some sort of scanning device that whatever these beings are had and that was like they're like they're gonna scan his head real quick right I wonder why that's very weird maybe to see what they're up against if they were looking to experiment or you know what <laughs> what, what their conditions see were. what the yeah they could be evaluating the biological mass in their head to see if it was something that they wanted to work with yeah it's it's very weird i wonder why if they were going to scan the head why they would do that or maybe they were going to take the head or something they're like going to use it for experimentation or something very very bizarre well remember in travis walton's uh fire in the sky movie they did have like a similar scene with that like when they were laying on that uh, yeah very similar and they had tilted uh, you know whatever came to it in his eye basically so it seems like they target the head for some reason maybe the eyeball or i don't know maybe they're scanning for a potential implant or something oh, too yeah a lot of time you know you always hear the everybody's like oh probe by aliens right mm-hmm. so maybe it's some type of situation where they're trying to map out where they're going to probe this guy yeah definitely very very bizarre but calvin then turned his head and saw another being walking toward him from the corner of the room And this figure didn't appear robotic. And he all of a sudden had this feeling, just this intuition that whatever this thing was, it was female. So this female being came over to him and started standing over him. And it rolled his head from side to side, examining him. She had more distinguishable facial features than the robotic figures. She actually had ears just like his. Two eyes and a nose and a mouth that never opened. And what was also different about her is that she didn't have claws. She had hands with fingers. She had two middle fingers on each hand, which were much longer than the others. I mean, man, could flip people off pretty good with two middle fingers. <laughs> right, two birds. That's what I thought of. I mean, I was like, God, giving people the bird with two middle fingers. Imagine oh, if we yeah. all had two middle fingers. That'd be funny. <laughs> that would be. But then this female being grabbed his cheeks and pinched his skin. And he said he didn't feel anything, but he knew that she was touching him. But what was weird is there was absolutely no sensation. She then grabbed a hold of his jaw and then forced his mouth open. And then she took her two long middle fingers and put them down his throat. As you can imagine, this would be a very uncomfortable sensation. 
Calvin literally felt those two middle fingers going down the back of his throat, attempting to push into his sinus cavity. He was choking, and he couldn't breathe at this point. But he couldn't do anything because his body was still frozen. And that's one of the worst feelings for me. Like when I was younger and I got strep throat, I would literally cry because I would hate to get my mouth swabbed or because yeah. they go way the back The gag there. reflex. The gag reflex. Make you like throw up sometimes. Yeah. It's, or it's just straight up painful. So this guy <laughs> got the worst of it. It is just getting started. <laughs> because then his nose started bleeding and all of a sudden she pulled her fingers out of his throat. She then spoke to him telepathically as he heard a woman's voice say, in English, we're not going to harm you. And he knew it was her talking to him, but her mouth wasn't moving. And he was also very surprised that whatever this thing was, it spoke English. She then backed up against the wall and started making some strange noises. A mumbling sound came up from the bottom of her throat. Calvin thought it sounded similar to a noise alligators make. Then one of the robotic figures reappeared with its mechanical arm and claw hand. It grabbed Calvin's arm and pulled it straight. Again, he heard the hissing sound and felt another injection. But again, immediately he felt calm and relaxed. Meanwhile, when Charlie arrived on the ship, he had a different experience. He felt completely helpless. He had no feelings whatsoever, and all that he could move was his eyes. He also wasn't on a table. He felt like he was floating. And there wasn't anything beneath him to support his weight. The room he was put into was very bright, but he didn't see any light fixtures. And he couldn't figure out what the color of anything was. A large round object that looked like an eye moved across his body, scanning him. It was suspended in midair. And the robotic figures shifted his body so it could scan him in all positions. While this was happening, Charlie never felt any pain. And he didn't believe the figures wanted to hurt him. But he was afraid they would take him away. After all this was done, these robotic beings then carried them both off of the ship, just as they had been carried on. What had taken them 15 minutes in order to wade through the water to the shore took a fraction of the second it felt. Calvin felt like he blinked, and then he was standing again on the shore. Charlie was floated to the ground and placed on his feet, but he was so weak he fell to the ground at Calvin's feet. Calvin stood facing the river with his arms stretched out in front of him, and then he heard Charlie say, Calvin, you okay, son? The robotic beings then retreated back into the ship. The door then closed, and the bright lights were replaced by hazy blue lights that Calvin had first seen flashing on the water. The ship then rose up and shot across the sky and disappeared. It moved so quickly that Calvin thought if he blinked again, he would have missed it. Charlie was now standing next to him, and he said again, You all right? Calvin was just in shock. He was nearly hysterical. He couldn't put his arms down either. They were both frozen still. Charlie tried to calm him down, telling him, the danger's over with. It's okay. We're good. And so they took a seat together and just tried to make sense of what had just happened. Charlie wanted to obviously talk with Calvin and see what he had experienced aboard the ship. But Calvin was still too upset. He just wanted to forget the whole incident. Charlie then said, I don't know what happened, son. And Calvin replied, nothing happened. Nothing happened to me. And so after this experience, they agreed to tell no one and never speak of it again. At least that's what Calvin thought. They then went back to the car and the passenger side had been facing the ship. Both windows were shattered in place. They were made of safety glass, which didn't break off into shards like regular glass. And when Charlie opened the passenger side door, that shattered window just dropped out. However, the back window stayed in place. They then climbed in, and it took several minutes for Calvin to get the car started. It was a brand new car, and the battery was just fine. But for whatever reason, the engine didn't want to start. Finally, they were able to get the car started, and then they drove in the direction of the apartments where they were staying. Neither of them drank at all, but Charlie needed something to calm his nerves. <laughs> yeah, no shit. After that, I need more than just a, a few drinks, probably. Mm-hmm. But he ended up drinking about three shots of liquor and decided that, you know what, we should probably report what happened to the authorities. So Charlie asked Calvin to stop at a store where there happened to be a payphone. Calvin assumed Charlie was just calling his wife. But instead, 
Charlie called Keesler Air Force Base in nearby Biloxi, Mississippi. And after a few minutes, he got someone on the line and explained what had happened to them. I'm sure they were probably like, what are you talking <laughs> about, man? Calvin, meanwhile, was still pretty out of it and wasn't even really listening to the conversation they were having. But the person at the base told Charlie they didn't investigate things like that anymore, but that they would contact the sheriff's office. So after the phone call, Charlie got back in the car and two police officers showed up minutes later. They walked up to the driver's side window and asked for Calvin's driver's license. They didn't search the car, but they were shining their flashlights into the back seat and looking around. I'm sure their first thought was, these guys got to be on something or maybe they're drunk. But, you know, after observing them, clearly they weren't drunk. And so they asked Calvin to follow them back to the sheriff's office to talk more. Once they got there, they were separated and then questioned individually. Calvin didn't feel like it was a friendly discussion. He felt like he was being interrogated. He told them nothing happened. You know, we were just out fishing, having a good time. Because he just wanted to go home at that point. After being questioned individually, the officers then brought them into an office together. And there they recorded another round of questioning. After about half an hour, they were left alone in the room. They didn't know the officers left the tape recorder on and put it in the desk drawer to record their conversation. And the reason for this was because the police officers figured they'd catch them in their lie. They thought they were just making all this shit up. And when Sheriff Fred Diamond listened to the recording, he was shocked by what he heard. It wasn't two friends playing a prank. It was two grown men instead who were shaken to their core by what they had just experienced. As they whispered to each other, Fred heard the stress in their voices. They were in disbelief and utterly scared. In the recording, Calvin can be heard telling Charlie that he was about to cry and that he needed to get home in order to take some pills or see a doctor because he was falling apart. They went on to talk about being frozen and paralyzed by these strange beings calling them sons of bitches. Calvin and Charlie also agreed that they sounded crazy and it was likely that no one would believe their story. Deputy Diamond came back in and talked to the two men for a few minutes. He then told them to go home and get some rest and they check in on them in the morning. Deputy Elsie, the chief investigator for the sheriff's office, knew these men weren't lying. Whatever had happened to them out there that night, they believed it was real. Sheriff Diamond thought the incident should be investigated further, so he actually contacted the Pentagon. But Air Force officials told him they stopped investigating UFO reports in 1969, and he couldn't explain what happened to Calvin and Charlie that night. And that's interesting that the Air Force would say that because, in my mind, I feel like they never did stop investigating. You know, no. so maybe that's what they were supposed to tell the public in that time or something. But come on now, like. They could have at least got in contact with somebody there and maybe assisted them with this issue, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like they were just very dismissive of the whole story. And I mean, I don't know how far that Sheriff Diamond got with the Air Force before. And who knows who he even talked to over there. I mean, it could have been like the secretary of the Air Force base. And they're probably like, oh, that's crazy. You know, yeah. we don't have time for that. But for all I know, I mean, maybe they did in fact take a report on it and they went and, and investigated it without telling anybody too. I mean, that could have happened as well. But Calvin and Charlie were both given multiple lie detector tests and they actually passed. The skeptical officer giving the test couldn't believe it when he saw the results as he was sure that they were lying and that he was going to be the one to catch them in that lie. But test after test gave the same results. Charlie and Calvin both believed their story to be true. And when they got back home that night, Calvin told Charlie he was worried they brought back a virus or were contaminated with radiation. He had watched the Apollo missions and remembered that the astronauts quarantined for a week when they got back in case they had a virus. His father actually worked for the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, so he knew what radiation could do to a person. I mean, it's a pretty smart observation. I mean, in many UFO stories, there's usually radiation involved. I mean... It's very possible that they could have been exposed to serious radiation mm -hmm. aboard the ship. So or, that's a pretty smart analysis, honestly. And maybe in the water that they were fishing in too, because heavy sludge—that's true. There could have been some that uh, environment. I feel like that's a good point. So maybe, and maybe that's actually what he was referring to—is just, hey, man, we were wading through that water, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those areas, you know, you got oil refineries yeah. and stuff down there. That maybe there's some 
you know, yeah. toxic sludge in the, the river they were in. And it makes me think maybe the aliens were fishing with that spot. You know, they contaminate it so it's on their radar. And if humans do enter, <laughs> it's like a trap. They, they can set. just show up at hyperspeed and then bring them on board the ship. Maybe. So yeah. Possible. Maybe it's like a targeted location. They yeah, set. It could be. That would be wild. Yeah. But once Calvin was home, he went to his room and immediately stripped off all of his clothes. And then he put him in a bag with his shoes and closed it tight. In the back of the bathtub was a gallon of bleach. He ran a scalding hot water and poured the bleach over his head. He scrubbed his skin and rubbed it in every inch of his body. Imagine taking a bleach shower though. Who 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 takes a bottle of bleach and like pours over their head unless you're I mean, if you're dumb and you don't realize that that's like damaging to <laughs> your skin. How contaminating Or that getting is? that in your eyes? Right. Or even in any area, you know, I feel like would just be painful. Burning, yeah. yeah. But and, I mean, it was pretty clear that he was very worried about some type of virus or mm-hmm. something. I can only imagine itself. how paranoid he was after that. Like, so he's like, I'm going to get the most powerful <laughs> disinfectant ever and have a bleach bath. Oh, man. And there's obviously way better things probably to choose from. Maybe start with soap and water. And if that doesn't do it, then go to bleach. He was seriously worried. I mean, he really thought there was something really nasty that he had to get off of him. Mm-hmm. So much so he was willing to like put himself in even more harm by bleaching himself. Wow. But then he took his bag of clothes out to the dumpster and just tossed it. He was very worried that whatever could have infected him may infect someone else. So he wasn't going to take any chances. Over the next couple of days, Calvin continued to have that flash of light in his vision, kind of just like a, probably like in your peripheral vision, maybe, I don't know, or just straight in the front of your eyes. That'd be crazy. Mm -hmm. But his eyes absolutely ached with pain and watered constantly. He tried to use some eye drops in order to soothe some of that pain, but nothing helped. The next day, him and Charlie went to work, and Calvin was determined to put the whole thing behind him. The media had already caught wind of the story, and everyone already knew. Charlie seemed to have no problem talking about what had happened to them. It was like his therapy. Talking helped him cope with his experience. Calvin, on the other hand, was very different. He couldn't face what had happened, and he didn't want to think about the assault from the female being or her putting her long middle fingers down his throat. When Calvin realized that now everyone knew what had happened to him, this made him absolutely sick to his stomach. He was mortified. He was called into the office later that day, and he was just completely breaking down. So much so that he fell onto his hands and knees in the parking lot and just started vomiting. In the week that followed, media outlets around the world reported on the alien abduction in Pascagoula, Mississippi. They printed drawings of the robot creatures in the spaceship, and soon this small shipbuilding town of Pascagoula became famous. Journalists, scientists, and UFO believers from all over the world traveled to the town in order to investigate. About a week after the incident, Charlie and Calvin were interviewed by the Mississippi press. Calvin had reluctantly agreed to join Charlie for the interview, but he told them, he had passed out on the way into the ship. One of the only quotes Calvin would give seemed to go against his whole experience. He said, quote, I want to emphasize to people, please don't shoot at these things. They don't mean us any harm. I believe if they came back, I could face them and try to communicate with them. But after he said that quote, when asked about the incident, Calvin just started telling people he didn't remember a thing. On the other hand, Charlie leaned into this newfound fame, and for the next several decades, he gave interviews and lectures about his alien abduction. And in order to make this a little bit more real for y'all, we're going to go ahead and put like a little montage of clips of Charlie talking about his experience. But it seemed to me when he came out that doorway, or that opening or whatever it was, then just almost instantly they were right there on us. And uh, their arms, they had arms, and I saw the arm moving here. And, and in the shoulders, but they had welled. I mean, their, their fingers were welled, and then they had something like a thumb, and they were like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one on this arm like this, and on the other one, you know, they had my other arm like that. And they just, I just seemed to lift up to the same height they were off the ground, and, and we just moved into the crowd. Now, inside, how did, they, how did they lay you out? Do you remember how it happened? Uh, yes, uh, they, 
I didn't see any tables or chairs or anything mm -hmm. in there. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't in there because the light was almost blinding, but I didn't see any. And when they when they carried me inside, they seemed to, to just lean me back, you know. And uh, this this eye, well, I keep referring to it as an eye, and it moved up to, in front of me about this close. Mm -hmm. And it started right at my eyes, looking me right in the eye. Uh -huh. And it seemed to, it hesitated there for a, a, a few seconds, and it just started moving over my entire body. When they, they brought me uh, from the craft at, at, along this area here, and they seemed to, they didn't drop me, you know, they just released me back to the ground. And uh, I fell, I, I don't know why my, my legs were weak, I don't know why it was the, the fright or what it was, but I, I fell onto the ground. And that's when I seen Calvin, he's standing right over here in this area, and he was standing facing the river with his arms outstretched like that, just like he was staring at something. I think there has to be a reason why that uh, Calvin and me was picked. Maybe because you could take it? Well, it might be. Uh, I don't know. I, th I think that they, they know more of what's going on down here on this earth than we think. And I don't know, they might have been, you might say, looking for somebody that, uh, that could, uh, that could, you might say, hold up under the strain. And uh, and convince people that that uh, that that there is another world and there's some kind of life on that world. In addition to doing interviews with the news, Charlie went on to speak at UFO conventions, and he also appeared on TV shows. He also went on to talk about other alien encounters, and eventually self-published a book of his experiences called UFO Contact at Pascagoula. That's interesting, other alien encounters, and it makes me think about what we were talking about earlier, that when they bring any human on board, they like tag them, right? So that they can always come back and revisit them. So I wonder in his case, they came, they kept coming back or something. Maybe, or from a skeptic's perspective, you mm -hmm. might say this was a money grab. You know, uh, he yeah. saw, he got that fame, that clout, yeah, and he, he realized... Did. The more he can, add I can to capitalize it. on this, you know, and I'm getting paid to speak at UFO conventions. Yeah, I can make money off this book. Mm -hmm. But then again, from the other side, how much money is this guy possibly making? He ain't rake, raking in millions of dollars. No. It's not like this is game. No. This probably isn't life changing money. So maybe it was just because he wanted to get his story out there. You know, yeah. I mean, if something like this happened to me, that's what I would do. We'd be doing an episode yeah. on Josh's alien abduction experience. Definitely. But I, I was, I was saying more on like, if he did have any few more encounters after this right. first main story, sure. you know, it's just hard, to, hard to know. But because Charlie was so vocal about his experience, there was a lot of people that were very skeptical and a lot of people even accused Charlie of embellishing details of his stories. But despite all of this, he became kind of a celebrity, especially in Pascagoula. And he enjoyed this quite a bit. Despite all of the, the fame and notoriety he got from this experience and talking about it, Charlie lived a pretty full life outside of his whole experience. Him and his wife Blanche had two sons, Charles Jr. and Curtis, and three daughters, Brenda, Sheila, and Letitia. When he passed away in 2011, they had 10 grandchildren and 15 great-grandchildren. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, Calvin, though, had no interest in the fame. He just wanted to live his life. And for decades, that's exactly what he did. All right, so this is interesting. So Charlie was very vocal, obviously, about his experience for pretty much most of his life. But it wasn't until after Charlie died that Calvin decided it was time for him to sort of face reality and face this trauma that he'd been through, this, this crazy experience. And that's when he teamed up with Philip Mantle, a UFO researcher, and they got together and they started working on a book called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story, which was published in 2018. And through the writing of this book, this helped him deal with that traumatic experience and also helped him recover memories from the actual abduction. And not only that, he discovered that there had actually been multiple witnesses who had seen the glowing object in the sky that night. And together, these witnesses corroborated his story and helped him create an actual timeline for that night. J. Michael Long actually witnessed the event as a child, and he produced a documentary called Alien Contact, the Pascagoula UFO Encounter, featuring Calvin and several other witnesses. On October 11, 1973, J. Michael was 12 years old. 
He was outside in his yard just after dusk tossing around a football. When he reached down to pick up the ball, he saw a huge ball of orange light to the north. This ball of light was moving south over his house and toward the Gulf Coast. It moved slowly though, and the orange light made it look like the tops of the nearby trees were glowing or on fire. He stood frozen like a deer in headlights for 15 minutes as he watched this ball of light move across the sky until it disappeared from view. J. Michael didn't pay attention to the news when he was a kid, because he's a fucking kid. But the next day, he heard adults talking about the two men who were abducted by aliens. And these guys were making fun of the men, cracking jokes and just calling them crazy. But J. Michael knew they weren't crazy because he had seen this UFO or ball of light that had allegedly abducted the men that very same night. A year after the incident, a book called Beyond Earth, Man's Contact with UFOs was released, and it had a detailed account of the abduction. And this was the first time that J. Michael read for himself what had happened to Charlie and Calvin on the river that night, and he was convinced it was real. The same night, 19-year-old Susan Snow was in her parents' yard walking one of their dogs. They lived about two miles from the river. While she was looking after her little dog, a bright light caught her eye. It was coming from the north and moving south very slowly. She watched in awe as it moved back and forth a few times and then stopped, where it then hovered perfectly still in the night sky. There was also a band of lights rotating around a flat object or along the edge of what looked like a craft. There were mostly blue lights, but there was also green, yellow, and red. She couldn't look away, and she wasn't able to move a muscle, basically frozen in place just like the others had been. She stood watching for 15 to 20 minutes before it drifted a little bit farther south and then shot off to the north and disappeared. And as if she were coming out of a trance, she suddenly realized she wasn't watching her dog the entire time. But her little dog hadn't moved either. It was actually sitting in the same spot in the yard. It's almost like this thing, this craft, as it moved overhead, it almost like froze time and place. I mean, it froze them physically, but it's Mm -hmm. almost like as if time stopped. Because nothing else happened. It was still, it was quiet. Yeah, it's like this thing moved over. It's like the aliens have the click remote, you know, the movie with Adam Sandler. Yeah, absolutely. Just pause. Yeah. And then they can do their thing. I wonder if it's also because maybe this craft, it's distorting gravity so much Mm -hmm. around it that it's actually causing time to appear like Uh, it stopped, but it's actually just speeding it up. That's very So it's almost like creating a time travel effect under, you know, while it passes over. Wow. The earth. So it slows time down. Like, it could slow it down. It could speed it up whoa. for them. Maybe mm-hmm. time gets distorted so that time's actually speeding up for, mm-hmm. you know, the aliens and, and people in that moment. That's why they're almost not able to move, but then it kind of returns to, to normal. Like you're. Yeah. Know, that's so interesting. Like that. Yeah. Very weird. But then Susan went inside and told her parents what she had just seen. They seemed very worried and told her she probably should just keep that to herself. I always love, I always love hearing that, that, you know, people tell their parents something extraordinary and then their parents are just like, yeah, just keep that to yourself. Yeah. Like, probably shouldn't tell anybody about that. They might think you're insane or crazy. They're just worried about their image. Like, come on, that's pretty shallow. (laughs) But the next day she watched Calvin and Charlie's story on the local news. And at that point she realized she had seen the same craft that had abducted them as it had gone off in the exact same direction. But still she knew no one would ever believe her. So for many years, she kept that shit to herself. So if you remember, J. Michael reported seeing a craft that was glowing orange. And later on in life, Jennifer actually told Susan that maybe this was because this craft had just moved through the Earth's atmosphere. Susan, though, remembers not seeing orange lights, but seeing mostly blue lights with a few other colors. And Charlie and Calvin reported only seeing blue lights as well. So maybe the lights were different colors depending on what the craft was doing. Or maybe when it traveled, it was multicolored and then blue when it was hovering. Maybe it had something to do with the craft's actual movement. But another witness was a crane operator named Lewis Lee. And he was working on the opposite side of the river from Calvin and Charlie that night. From his crane, he saw a strange object hovering over the river. It was unlike anything he had ever seen. He reported that it was an egg-shaped craft with blue and white lights. And there was a silver glow all around it. On the bottom, he thought he saw a clear plastic base that he could see right through, even though it was dark out. The lights reminded him of how a welding arc might look from a distance. Blue light with silver rays glowing around it. 
Lewis watched this UFO for about five to 10 minutes, trying to figure out what he was looking at. He knew it wasn't a helicopter, plane, or a jet. So obviously it had to be a UFO. Later, he told his mechanic what he had seen, but his mechanic just laughed at him. People in Pascagoula did not believe in things like that. They believed in what they could see. They didn't have time for things like aliens, Bigfoot, or other cryptids. Lewis went to his day job at the shipyard the next morning, and everyone was talking about these two men that had been abducted by aliens. He told them what he had seen, and they laughed at him too, saying, oh, you were probably just drunk. But Lewis had actually worked with Charlie, and he knew him to be a hard worker and an honest guy, and he didn't believe that Charlie would make up a crazy story like that. Lewis had actually worked with Charlie, so he knew Charlie was a hard worker, he was honest, and that he would not make up a crazy story like that. Like, why would he do that? So he decided to only tell his close friends and family about what he had seen. But other than that, he kept his mouth shut and never went to the media. Near another part of the river that night, 23-year-old Maria Blair and her husband Jerry drove up to the water. Jerry was leaving on a boat to work offshore, and they were a little early. And since he was going to be up all night, he decided to take a nap in the car. So Maria let her husband take a nap as she watched the night sky. While she was admiring the stars, all of a sudden a blue light from the south appeared. And she thought it must be just a plane heading to the landing strip that she didn't know about. Because they're like, where's that thing going to land around here? But the light kept getting brighter and getting closer to the ground. At that point, she nudged her husband awake. And then the two of them watched as it flickered for a second before it got much much brighter than before and then there was a blinding light on the west side of it and it looked like a doorway had been opened and they watched it for a few minutes as the white light flickered back to blue jerry told her that they should head toward the boat and as they walked across the pier they heard a very loud splash in the water jerry quickly turned around and said what was that and maria shrugged jerry kept walking but maria stood still watching the water and suddenly she saw a blurry person, and this person or figure or being had a head but no neck. She also saw arms and legs, but they didn't move, as the legs looked like they had been sewn together. There were waves on the water, and this figure floated there for just a few seconds, and then it took off in the opposite direction and was gone. Maria had only gotten a glimpse, but she thought it had looked like a person, but it was so hard to make out, so she wasn't quite sure what it was. That night around 8.45 or 9 o'clock, another woman named Judy Branning was driving with some friends along the river. She was 27 years old and newly divorced and she had just moved back to Pascagoula for a fresh start. They were stopped at a red light with a few cars ahead of them and all of a sudden Judy saw lights coming from west to east and heading straight toward them. And like Maria, she assumed that it was a plane. She thought, there must be an airport not too far away from here and that must be where this plane is heading. But when the lights kept getting closer and closer to the ground, she panicked. Because she thought, whatever this thing was, it was going to crash. She was so anxious and afraid that she called. And as this thing pretty much got right in front of them, she screamed out, look, is that a plane? And all the people in the car just stared at this bright light in the sky, trying to figure out what it was. One of her friends said it really didn't look like the lights of a plane. It just kept moving closer to the car and also closer to the ground. And before they knew it, Judy realized that they were looking at a UFO. In fact, this UFO got so close to them, it was nearly right on top of them. They felt like they could almost reach out and touch it. And crazy enough, this thing had absolutely no sound, no engine noises, just completely silent. It then moved right over their car and Judy turned around to watch through the back window. And then this UFO shot up in the air and took off at a high rate of speed and then quickly disappeared. So when Calvin learned about all these other witnesses while writing his book, it really validated his experience because he's like, clearly I'm not, you know, insane. I'm sure he thought he was insane for a long time. Like, there's no way this happened to us. Like, this is just absolutely wild. But once he heard that other people had actually witnessed this UFO that night, it made everything more real. One day while him and Philip were working, Calvin mentioned that he once met Bud Hopkins, a prominent ufologist and an expert in alien abduction. He explained that when he met up with Bud, Bud had actually tried to hypnotize him, but it didn't work. Another doctor had tried to hypnotize him before that and couldn't either. 
So Calvin just assumed it couldn't be done. But when Philip heard this, he was like, ah, Bud was the best of the best. If anyone could hypnotize Calvin, Bud Hopkins would be the one to do it. So he wanted to know what the whole story was behind that. So before Calvin actually went to be hypnotized by Bud Hopkins, he had another strange thing happen to him in 1993. One day, Calvin took a day trip to go fishing. He left in the morning and told his wife he'd be back before dark. So she packed him a lunch and he was on his way. He got to his fishing spot around 11 a.m. and decided to eat lunch before he started fishing. From the moment he finished eating his lunch, all of a sudden it was night. And he was sitting in the exact same spot he was just a few seconds ago. And he thought, at first, it must have just gotten dark. But what was also weird was that his shirt was drenched in blood. And there was also a freshly caught fish in his cooler. And he had no recollection of what had just happened during that time period. When he got back to the truck, he saw that it was actually 3 a.m. And the last thing that he remembered was having lunch at 11 a.m. And there was also a note on his truck that said, Babe, I'm going to call the Coast Guard. Where are you? And he had no idea how he was going to explain what had happened to him to his wife. The next day, he talked to a friend and told him what had happened. He said he lost hours and hours of time, and he had no recollection of what he had done in between. He also told his friend about the blood on his shirt and the fish in the cooler. And that was when his friend told him that he knew a man who had written a book on lost time. Again, suggesting that Calvin go and talk to Bud Hopkins. And luckily for Calvin, Bud Hopkins happened to be at a conference in nearby Tampa. Desperate at this point for answers, Calvin decided maybe it is a good idea to go see this Bud Hopkins fella. But he said that he didn't want to actually talk to him. So he brought a friend with him as well. And when they got there, his friend went in to talk to Bud. Bud was actually about to go on stage and he told them to wait in his room. He said he'd be there as soon as he could. And he wanted to make sure that Calvin didn't leave because he wanted to speak with him. After his lecture, Bud came in to talk to Calvin. And after they chatted for a little bit, Bud was like, yo man, I want to hypnotize you. Calvin told him that another doctor had tried to do that already and it didn't work. But Bud insisted. And again, Calvin said, no, I'm not going to do it. But then Bud turned on his tape recorder and began in a hypnotic regression session anyway. And as far as Calvin knew, the hypnotism hadn't worked. But Philip remembered that Bud Hopkins always taped his sessions. And he managed to get a hold of a copy of that tape. And when Calvin listened to it, he was absolutely shocked. The hypnotism had worked, unlike what he had thought. And as he listened the memory started to flood back. The first thing that Bud Hopkins did was he took Calvin back to 1973. He remembered everything, even the smallest details. He described a car that was parked nearby and knew its tag number. Later, Calvin hunted down that car and found the woman it had belonged to. Her husband had died and she was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. And she remembered a few things but made Calvin promise to keep her anonymous. Bud then switched gears and brought Calvin back to the recent fishing trip where he'd experienced the lost time phenomenon. Calvin described the experience in great detail, and it was very disturbing and very vivid. He said the figures or beings that had abducted him before came back to get him again, and they brought him back onto the ship a second time. And again, this is in 1993, so quite a bit later on in life. He said he was put in a room where balls of electricity were bouncing around, He had to do duck and weave in order to keep them from hitting him. He also saw a strange mirror filled with faces, and these faces were trapped inside. Then a female figure came into the room, and while hypnotized, he said, I know her. She's here to kill me this time. He then described her ears looking just like his, and that she had bluish-green hair. And just like last time, she slid her long middle fingers inside his throat, and this time, He was angry. He was tired of being bullied by this female being. Calvin said he started struggling, and so he pulled her fingers out of his throat as he was bleeding, and he actually started choking her and then slammed her head against a mirror, and apparently a black oozing liquid dripped from her ear. He said it looked like blood. Her black blood was mixed with his red and got all over his shirt. So that's what he claims was on his shirt after that fishing trip in 93. 
At this point, he knew she was pissed and was injured, and he believed he had a tracker in his throat, as that is what she was actually trying to get out of him. At that point, he wanted to jump out of the ship and take her with him, as he was ready to die to prove a point, and he felt like he had been wronged. One of the robotic figures came into the room. It was big and strong and could easily handle him. And again, he felt a stink in his arm and he was completely paralyzed. The female being grabbed him around the eyes, ripping at his eyeballs, eyelids, and eyebrows with her fingernails Uh, as she was trying to scratch his eyes out. Jesus Christ. Again, he's paralyzed, so much so he can't even blink. She then started pulling thoughts from his head. Without even opening her mouth, she then said to him, You are not going to be any danger to us. Realizing that she was communicating with him telepathically again, he sent his thoughts back. And he said, who is us? Again, she said, you will no longer be a threat. Calvin didn't realize he had been a threat. But he thought, I'm going to be a threat now. And that's when he saw a light. And the female figure just stood still. Because she was also afraid of it. Under hypnosis, he went on to explain what the significance of the light was. He's quoted as saying, Through this light, I can see things that's to come and things that's the past. I know things that I've never known. I see destruction. I see the world being changed for what it's not. And I see them possessing bodies and taking them over. And yet I have the power to fight it. I have the power to know who it is. I can see through her now. And all that's gone. I'm at total peace with myself. She's evil. She's really evil. That's really interesting how he saw this light, but was able to see the past and the future. Like, yeah. And maybe on a perspective of what could happen to planet Earth. And he got yeah. this whole level of information that no one else could have, you know? And it would make sense that whatever this light was would have this ability to almost stop time or time travel or whatever you want to call it. I mean, Clearly, whatever this light is, is super powerful and it has Mm -hmm. complete control over all biological entities. You know, like even this female being that's like basically torturing him is is stopping to just see what this light's going to do. Like this light has got a lot of power. Yeah. And I just don't understand why they choose to paralyze us, you know, because... That, that just makes us completely vulnerable. It's in the worst state that we could be. We can't defend ourselves. And I get that's why they do it. But if they really didn't mean any harm, like bring us in with open arms, <laughs> give us a hug or something, you know? Well, I mean, it was, it's pretty clear that whatever the purpose of the abduction was, was to for experimentation, mm-hmm. tracking, gathering intelligence. I mean, she, I mean, I believe that if this really happened, that she, this being was obviously trying to retrieve a tracker Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason i don't know i mean i don't know why you would necessarily want to track him and maybe i mean we have no idea what this device was that they removed i mean for all we know it could have been conduct you know remotely conducting experiments of his body over all those years but it's very interesting that they abducted him again in order to retrieve it Mm-hmm. So it was like there was some significance in doing this. Clearly, they didn't just do this for fun. Most right. likely, it was probably some type of experiment, or just like he said, their plan was to study our biological bodies in order to see if they could actually, whatever these things are, these things that are robotic, mm-hmm. maybe they were going to try to transfer their consciousness from these robotic bodies into human bodies. Oh, uh, yeah. I and they that. were going to kill us in the process uh-huh it's kind of what it seems like to me well that t- that makes me think maybe that tracker was more advanced technologically yeah could connect with yeah. our brain and like right i and- don't think it was just like a gps tracker <laughs> like they just had him on a map the, all yeah, these years no like way. oh looks like uh calvin's going to the grocery store <laughs> yeah back at back at the so lake that's what fishing. they eat yeah right. yeah this guy fishes so much <laughs> why does he like these damn fish yeah because they're already a remote place most yeah. of the time so very weird though this whole concept of it's it sounds like a science fiction story of like mm-hmm. aliens invade and their whole goal is to take over our bodies, mm-hmm. remove us from our bodies <laughs> yeah. to then become us. Right. That's right. a scary thought to think about. Definitely. <laughs> like some you see on sci-fi channel or some right. shit. Like, so no wonder Calvin's like traumatized from all this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
he's suppressing these horrible, horrible memories of right. something that wants to to eliminate you and take your body from you. I mean, that's scary shit. It's like basically taking away your soul, I guess. Yes, yeah. you know. And just how much impact this light had on everybody that it came in contact with. I mean, it froze people in place that just saw it. Right. I mean, to me, that's very interesting that maybe this is some type of higher dimensional being or something. I mean, who knows definitely what this thing is. But what we do know is that everybody that did see these bright lights or this craft that night all described similar feelings to what Calvin experienced as well as, you know, like I just said, being frozen in place and all of the witnesses of this event also instinctively knew what they had just witnessed wasn't of this world. It wasn't something that could be explained. It wasn't swamp gas or clouds or a plane or anything else that existed on planet Earth. And if it wasn't made on Earth, then it had to be some sort of spacecraft from some advanced intelligent life form. These witnesses of this event were all entirely changed by what they had experienced. They remember the details like it happened just a few minutes ago. And when they think about it, even decades later, it still gives them goosebumps. Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker both wanted to tell their story of the Pascagoula alien abduction. Charlie wanted to tell his story right away, while it took Calvin and other witnesses decades to come forward. So who knows? How many people are out there that actually saw this? I mean, I'm sure there's even more people that just don't remember this event, but maybe one day they'll come forward, and maybe one day we'll know more about what really happened on the Pascagoula River that night in 1973. So... Wow, what a story though. I mean, this is a it's a very interesting one cuz there's definitely similarities to other alien abductions. Yeah, out I was going to say that. You know, you like Joel's been referencing Travis Walton. I mean, mm. you, I I could even argue Betty and Barney Hill. I mean, it's yeah. it's And we've seen Bud Hopkins in the uh the hypnosis guy. Same thing with Charlie and Calvin in this case, but he worked with Betty and Barney Hill and was able to get a very detailed hypnosis right. from them as well and captured on tapes. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it's very interesting to me because I think so many people just dismiss alien abduction stories and they're just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's crazy. Just like people have dismissed aliens or UFOs for so long. And now, like, just in, in the public, I mean, so many more people are like, I believe in aliens. I believe they exist. I mean, our own government is telling us that they've been studying UFOs for years and mm-hmm. years and years. And there's all this data out there on that. So to me, this is all very real. This is a very real story i mean i I think that obviously there might be details that don't don't add up there might be things that are embellished to make it sound i mean if you got a story i mean we're all guilty of this to some extent of like when you've got a story about something you're trying to tell your friends or tell people you always kind of like throw a little bit of like you know sprinkle a little bit on top to make (laughs) it a little bit more interesting yeah exactly i know i've done that before just to make it a little bit more interesting yeah juicy you know or that i think it's just also just like psychologically how our minds work we just yeah. we try to remember it the best we can but we always throw you know sure. a little bit in there based on how we feel about the situation yeah, right yeah, exactly like how we feel about it whether it's a good memory or a negative memory i think it really affects how we tell the story so mm-hmm. it's very possible that maybe some of the negativity around this particular event was in, was kind of embellished because it was so impactful on charlie and calvin Right. And it had multiple witnesses and all of their stories were very detailed. They all had their own unique story. Yeah. So that was getting me more like believing it too, you know, but I am on the fence because I am skeptical uh, with certain points in this, but uh, it seems more true to me than false for me. So yeah, I mean, it's just like, why, why lie about it? Why? And and again, like Calvin didn't even come forward about this till way way later. So, mm-hmm. you know, people always say fame, money, and attention is what people want, but I, I just don't mm-hmm. really see that in this case. But it, here's an interesting theory for you. So there's a theory out there that a lot of these alien abductions were in fact conducted by some type of United States government agency, whether it's the CIA or some unknown project that Mm -hmm. was out there that what really happened to these people is that they were abducted by either humans i mean a lot of them report seeing some type of human being i mean 
whatever this female being was clearly had some human characteristics to right, her. Right, right. I mean, they were able to say she was female. She had ears like them, mm-hmm. the slit in the mouth. I mean, there could for, be some genetic engineering with that. Right. There could, this could be in some type of hybrid human experiment that the yeah. government may be doing. So sure. a lot of people think that these alien abductions are in fact, genuine extraterrestrial abductions by aliens from other planets that are super advanced. But in fact, this is all a artificial experience that's been created mm-hmm. by some type of military or government group sure that's abducting humans in order to do genetic testing to do you know these secret programs where there are crossing dna with either either some type of extraterrestrial life or even just animals or, or whatever else mm-hmm. and perhaps they're doing this to create the whole narrative of alien abductions and making us want to think that that is in uh, fact yeah. what's happening. Right. It's all a psychological thing. They want mm-hmm. us to believe that, oh yeah, it's alien space aliens that are in, that are actually abducting us when in fact that's just the cover story for what's really happening. Behind the scenes, and right. And there's literally government scientists that are like oh. actually pulling the strings behind yeah. these alien abduction encounters. So governments, are you saying like the governments here on planet Earth? Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. I'm talking about United States government. Yeah, agents. I'm talking about like rogue rogue projects of the cia the department of defense i mean we know that they do they have there's black projects that are unacknowledged i mean if anybody's ever seen the unacknowledged documentary on netflix highly recommend it by the way oh yeah it will kind of open you up to this whole world an idea that our military is given i mean if you look at our budget for the you know our government yeah right the amount of money that goes to the department of defense the pentagon is astronomical billions right and we're not even in i mean we're not even like in a huge war yeah you know we're obviously fighting little fights around the world but the amount of money being poured into it is is the same that you would need or more than you would need to fight an actual war Mm -hmm. so where is all this money going to and a lot of people believe there's all these projects that are top top secret i mean even even higher clearance levels in the president to generals i mean this is completely Mm -hmm on the down low that are going on that are doing projects gotcha. like these where they're alien abducting people they're creating biological life forms that appear to be aliens to us but are in uh, fact made by humans interesting but what it i would think it would still require some kind of genetic engineering with species outside of this planet right right could be and that's what they could be doing is they're creating hybrid human mm-hmm. alien beings i mean this is way after Roswell. And, and uh-huh. if you know the whole Roswell story, I haven't heard of it. They like, was, uh, all of it. Yeah. So they recovered bodies from the crash. Mm-hmm. They, they basically oh, recovered. That rings a bell. That's like, the, didn't they have pictures of that too? Of some, well, there's, there's like hoaxed ones out oh, okay. there, of like yeah, alien autopsy and stuff. But, yeah. but the, the word on the street is, is that they're, they recovered, the government recovered alien bodies from other star systems from that crash the roswell crash oh wow. or crashes depending on who you talk to and uh-huh. therefore over the years the government and military have back engineered the technology of the craft to create their own versions of flying saucers oh, or wow. anti-gravity craft that can move yeah that's got lights just like the ones we just talked about and not only that they had these life forms that likely didn't live that long after the crash mm-hmm. but they were able to use the dna from oh, them in yeah. order to experiment right and therefore might be able to create Holy these hybrid shit. alien human beings that's fucking believable and that is what all these alien abduction stories are is actually like experiments by these top wow. secret projects yeah yeah that are appear to us as like alien and extraterrestrial and yet it could yeah. be all man-made so that's just one that's just yeah. a theory that makes me there. want to explore that one more though yeah oh, that's interesting oh there you can go down the rabbit hole with the whole <laughs> alien story i bet or alien experimentation and mm-hmm. and all that but i just want to throw that out there because yeah. I, I think in, the more i've researched alien abductions the more i start believing that i i think it's highly unlikely that these are just until i i, I find it very hard to believe that aliens from other parts of space. I mean, we're especially if we're talking about extraterrestrials from another galaxy uh-huh. or another corner of the universe are going to come all the way here to just probe us and do these really rough yeah, right. abduction stories where like they really don't have the ability to completely erase our mind from that. Yeah. They don't have the ability to make this a seamless abduction. Like yeah, it's, right. it seems like too 
man-made you know what i mean it's Uh got this man-made feel to Uh it because it's like oh i'm awake i'm floating up to the ship i'm being laid on an examination table really they need a table to put you on to probe you if you can travel from some other part of space you would have the technology or the know-how to do this completely wirelessly or seamlessly yeah right where where the person where a little human being would never know what hit them right right don't you think that yeah it seems very unlikely to me that these alien abductions are in fact advanced aliens from other planets. Yeah. I think there's a real possibility. These are hybrid aliens uh-huh. or beings that are genetically created by humans yeah, yeah. in order to conduct and create this counterintelligence around the whole UFO alien thing so that uh-huh. everybody thinks this is a giant joke. Uh-huh. It's all fun and games because it's just alien space aliens. <laughs> But in reality, yeah. it's covering up the real story of what's happening gotcha. with aliens and UFOs. Which kind of makes sense why they'll release some things out to the public. Right. You know, it's all calculated. Calculated. It's all, it's all on per it's all with purpose. Yeah. You know, nothing is face value in this topic. Mm-hmm. And the more I've dug into it, the more I've realized that we really don't know shit. We don't really know the truth about UFOs. We don't really know the truth about aliens. For all we know, this could everything that we've experienced that they're releasing to us is all made by them, by these groups, these government groups or military groups that are. They could just be putting on a show. Yeah. And just, I mean, feeding our minds with this so that that's what we think when in reality, what's really happening is a complete mystery to us. And that's how they'd want to keep it if there was something Mm -hmm. absolutely insane going on. So I'll leave you with that thought, though. That's that's a good way to leave this off. But obviously, there's actually a, a movie on this event, and we'll we'll link it for you guys if you want to watch uh, some of the interviews as well. Uh, we'll leave some links and sources for you if you want to learn more about the Pascagoula alien abduction story. But with that, that is where we'll end today's episode of the Lights Out podcast. Hopefully, you found the story interesting. Hopefully, you learned something. But until next time, guys, lights out, everybody. <laughs>